You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Housing for the Aged Action Group, Hague for short, a housing group for older people run by older people. Present Raise the Roof! We advocate for secure, affordable and appropriate housing. So listen up on the second and fourth Wednesday of the month at 5.30pm on 3CR 855 on your AM dial. That's right, listeners, this is the Housing for the Aged Action Group show, Raise the Roof, here on 3CR, 855 AM. My name's Shane. I'm here with Fiona. How are you going, Fiona? I'm good, Shane. How are you? Look, I'm as good as it gets, deep in stage four lockdowns here in Melbourne, but the, uh, I guess the light's at the end of the tunnel at this point, uh, touch wood. Uh, how many cliches did I pack into one sentence there? Um, Fiona, what are we, what are we going to um, hear what have we got for the listeners this week? Yeah, so we've got the second part of the at-risk forum that we heard last fortnight. So today we're going to be hearing from um, Dr. Emma Power, who's from the University of Western Sydney. And she did some research where she interviewed um, older women who are living in private rental. And she's done some qualitative data analysis on that. So she talks about some of the stories that she heard while she was doing her research and some of the implications for older people that find themselves um, stuck, I guess, in paying unaffordable amounts of rent in crappy houses, mainly in Sydney, but it's relevant all over Australia. Um, And then we're going to hear from um, the the chairperson of the YWCA, um, Helen Conway, who talks about some of the innovative housing solutions for older women that the YWCA has been doing. Um, Yeah, so both of those things are from the forum that we held in Homelessness Week in August, um, and it was attended by over 300 people from across the country and um, generated a whole bunch of interest and lots of chatting going on online, which was really great. So we'll go straight into them now. Sounds great. And to complement that, we have new research that Dr. Emma Power will be sharing with us about women's experience, older women's experience in the private rental sector. So I'm going to hand over now to Dr. Emma Power from Western Sydney University. Thanks, Susie, and thanks for joining us today, everyone. While we were doing this research, I met Tracy, a single older woman who lived on the aged pension. She described to me the impact of a rent increase that left her with only $30 a week in pocket after she'd covered her other essential costs. She explained to me that her efforts to survive at this time were, quote, like my job. She described how she'd go to one local charity where they had a food cupboard and fresh produce and another where she could get a monthly food voucher because paying her rent meant she had no money for essentials like food. Another woman I met, Tony, had a low-paid contract during school terms and she received JobSeeker or what was then Newstart over the break. She managed by buying vegetables that the local greengrocer bundled and discounted before he threw out. But during winter when she had extra heating costs and over summer when her contract ended and she couldn't get work, she attended a local church that opened a weekly food pantry. This food, which was donated by local supermarkets and community members, was frequently past its best before date. 
As a low paid community worker living in an area with a significant number of disadvantaged families, she told me how she would collect food alongside her clients. So these are just two of many similar stories that have been shared with us in the last few years by older women living in private rental housing in Greater Sydney. This group is amongst the most marginalised in our housing system. They are one of the fastest growing groups of homeless people nationally, and they're overrepresented amongst the asset poor. These women face a couple of sets of risks. The first set are gendered risks. They might have taken time out of the workforce to care for children, or they might have worked in lower paid caring professions across their life course. So they retire having limited assets, including superannuation. These gendered risks are then compounded by our unaffordable and insecure private rental system, a system that allows one group of people, those who have the money to invest in housing and to secure their future, while it leaves others to struggle at the social and economic margins in substandard housing and with insufficient money left over from rent to be confident that they can afford to buy sufficient food or pay their energy bills. So the report that I've released today presents these women's stories. Women described how high and rising rents left them struggling to meet day-to-day -day costs. Many like Tracy and Tony paid rent before they bought food or paid energy bills because failure to do so would result in eviction. And so this is why the Productivity Commission last year described rental affordability as a driver of disadvantage for low-income households in Australia. Poor quality and substandard housing was also common. So the bathroom in Tony's current house, which is a bedsit above a garage, leaked. And like most women, she described living in homes that lacked basic insulation and window coverings. She bought heavy curtains she could take between properties. And in an extreme example, she described how she'd clad the outside of two properties with tarpaulins to reduce the through drafts. Many women reported being afraid to ask for repairs due to the risk of rent increases or eviction. As one woman explained to us, being a cheap tenant was her best chance of avoiding a rent increase. She explained how most of the taps in her bathroom couldn't turn off properly. And it wasn't just worn washers. At this point, it was the taps that were seizing up and needed replacing. But she said, I won't ask my landlord to do it. You're too scared to ask your landlord to fix up your house because you're scared he's gonna say, oh, well, if I do that, I'm gonna to have to put your rent up. Or Lily, who explained, the oven doesn't work, but I can live with that because if he puts in a new oven, he'll put the rent up. Women also faced housing insecurity. So renting in Australia is known to be insecure, but older renters face elevated risks. And the Productivity Commission noted last year that older renters aged 65 and over face about double the risk of involuntary relocation. So when they get a notice to vacate from their landlord than other renters. In my research, older women who'd been forced to move house due to a rent increase or notice to vacate described the physical and emotional costs so moving house is expensive. Costs include bond, disconnection and reconnection of utilities, removalists or vehicle hire. Gwen explained to us that when it comes to moving, it's all a cost factor. And for women living in already stretched budgets, the risks are magnified. So many women borrowed money to cover the costs which left them in debt. And as Gail explained, this could take them months to recover from. Most downsized their possessions to make moving house cheaper and more manageable. And Michelle drew parallels with the experiences of people whose house caught fire or who'd had a flood, with the only benefit being that she was able to make choices about what to keep and what to give away. 
The emotional toll that these women described was significant. So Jenny explained how she coped by simply emotionally detaching from her house. Alice explained that uprooting, no matter how small a plant you are, is a trauma. The number of older Australians who rent is projected to increase over the next decades as home ownership declines amongst younger people. So the stories of these older women in the rental sector must be a warning to us all. They are the canary in the coal mine for our housing system. And it's urgent that we hear them and address these inequities. They show in brief the need to address housing affordability across the system and for more targeted public investment in secure social housing. We need to permanently raise the job seeker rate so that these women and, and these women could gain an immediate benefit from a rise in Commonwealth rent assistance. At a state level, there's a need to end no grounds eviction, and I note that we've done that in some states like Victoria, and we need quantified minimum housing standards. Our goal should be for all renters to have the opportunity for secure occupancy so they can stay in a property as long as they want while they continue to meet their rent responsibilities. If we lack the political will for this, we must consider financial assistance to support involuntary moves that result from notices to vacate or rent increases. These changes are only made more urgent in the context of COVID-19. Secure affordable housing is the first line of community defence against this pandemic. It's especially necessary to protect these women whose age puts them at higher risk of the virus. And at a community level, it's vital because all people who are struggling in insecure housing or who face homelessness at this time are at higher risk. And in turn, this grows our collective vulnerability. Thank you. Emma, thank you very much for telling those heart-wrenching stories and bringing to life what this situation can be like. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio. 855 AM. We're now going to hear from Helen Conway from her YWCA and WGEA, um, Workplace Gender Equality Agency perspective. And then I'll be asking a couple of questions to the panellists and then we'll open to the audience questions as well. So over to you, Helen. Thanks very much, Susie, and good morning, everybody. It's an absolute pleasure to be here today. It's wonderful to have so many participants. It shows great interest in what is a, a very significant issue that needs to be addressed urgently. So in the interest of uh, time and allowing more time for questions, I'll keep my presentation very brief. I'll just talk a bit about the why, the YWCA, and then uh, give you a few perspectives on um, homelessness and, and you know, how people women in particular end up with financial disadvantage and then uh, that'll be from my experience as the director of the Workplace Gender Equality Agency and then building on some comments that uh, Kay made earlier I'll just talk a little bit about uh, COVID-19 and the impact on women. So the YWCA has a really proud history 140 years of advocating and working for gender equality for women and, and young girls. We are in fact through our housing arm the only national women's housing provider in Australia. Now, we provide over 150 nights of affordable accommodation to women through our owned and operated facilities in Victoria, Queensland and the Northern Territory. Now, we believe very strongly that uh, safe, secure and affordable accommodation is a foundation for empowering women to lead a fulfilled life. 
And that's why we advocate so strongly for this. We, and we provide this sort of accommodation. We have a true belief in the importance of this to women and their mental and physical well-being. And, you know, some people say to us, oh, well, just, you know, it's a capital city issue. This is not a capital city issue. There is homelessness among women everywhere. And in, in recent times, the WISE uh, released a report on women's housing needs in regional Australia, and there were some rather disturbing findings from that report. I mean, what we found was that one in eight women living in regional Australia had been homeless in the last five years, and one in four had lived in temporary accommodation because they couldn't afford the private rental market. So these are very disturbing findings, and it shows the extent to which homelessness is an issue across our community and across all geographic areas. But it's a big problem, and we can't solve it on our own, and we know that there are many organisations that are prepared to work together, and we believe in this power of partnership. If we can do anything in the next few years, we'd like to partner with people, not just in the private sector, but also with government, so that we can create and increase the supply of social and affordable housing. And I think as Kay mentioned earlier, it's a big issue, so we need a lot of innovation. We need innovative solutions uh, to address this problem that has been around for a long time, although somewhat hidden, as Kay has mentioned. Now, so, for example, we've partnered with uh, Housing All Australians to put in place a pop-up shelter in Melbourne to provide temporary housing for women. And this is at a property that is slated for redevelopment, but not for some years. So the property is refitted and used as a temporary shelter. So it's things like this that we can together put in place to address what is an increasing problem. There's no doubt that there's a really urgent need for more social and affordable housing. And we need the government to step up. Uh, we, everybody needs to step up and what better time to do it? I mean, COVID-19 presents many, many challenges, but it also presents lots of opportunities. Really, if you want to stimulate the housing and the construction sector, what better opportunity is there than to provide a lot more housing that's affordable uh, for people who are facing homelessness. The government to date has um, put in place a, a program um, that really just supports people renovating their homes. Now, all stimulus is, is welcome, but we think there's a lot more stimulus to the economy that could be provided through the provision of affordable housing and help to relieve the distress that we see so many women facing. So, so moving on to why women find themselves susceptible to homelessness and, and my experiences as the Director of the Workplace Gender Equality Agency, look, many women are financially disadvantaged when compared to men. There's no doubt about that. And there are a lot of factors in the workplace that drive this uh, disadvantage. Now, you could speak for hours on this, but look, really, the main factors are these. Um, you've got interrupted paid employment patterns and part-time and casual work that women undertake. And this is primarily due to the fact that women uh, carry the heaviest burden in terms of caring. So unpaid caring responsibilities for children, but also for sick and unwell uh, friends and, and relatives. You've got the gender pay gap. So the gender pay gap, a, a persistent problem. It's been in the order of you know, 15 to 90% over the last few decades. 
we have industrial and occupational segregation. So that means that women are, are focused and, and primarily working in jobs and sectors that are lowly paid or less well paid than sectors dominated by men. And then, of course, to top it all off, we have, you know, conscious and unconscious bias and, and plain out discrimination. So as a result of these factors, women have uh, experienced and continue to experience lower lifetime earnings and, of course, lower superannuation balances. Now, when you add to those factors things such as relationship breakdown, domestic violence, you see women being left in extremely disadvantaged financial positions. And this financial disadvantage, as we know, as we've heard, often leads to homelessness. So we really need to work not only at the immediate uh, issue of providing actually more housing stock, but we need also to work to address these structural issues. So gender equality requires quite an integrated approach. You know, you need to incorporate components such as paid parental leave, affordable, accessible and, and uh, flexible childcare. You need to remove the financial disincentives from the tax and the welfare systems and we need to have cultural and structural change. Now, of course, uh, that requires a concerted effort by organisations, governments, and indeed, uh, you know, society at large. But the role of government is actually critical in setting policy positions which can alleviate the impact of the factors that I've referred to. It's really urgent that the government addresses the serious shortfall, obviously, in social and affordable housing stock to alleviate the problem. But more fundamentally, and in some senses more importantly, the governments, whether you're talking about the federal government or state governments or indeed local government, need to apply a gender lens to all their policy setting. Without that lens, we'll, we see what we see today. We see a, a, an unlevel playing field and financial disadvantage for women in so many areas that translates to broad disadvantage including homelessness. So moving just now finally on to the impact of COVID, just building on some comments that Kay made earlier, and these are very initial observations. We won't know for a long time really what the impact and the real impact on women has been, but there are some disturbing uh, signs right now. And as we know, healthcare workers on the front line are predominantly women. Uh, they're in a sector that's not well paid and they're placing themselves at risk of infection and indeed at risk of death. Now we've seen in Victoria, for example, most recently, those healthcare workers who have been uh, you know, working around the clock and as a result, many of them have become unwell. There was a significant number of COVID infections among healthcare workers. We see anecdotally that women are bearing the you know, the increased um, caring and homeschooling responsibilities during the pandemic. And this means that women are stepping back from work. That might mean reducing hours. It may mean not going for promotions. It may mean actually withdrawing from the workforce force altogether. There's also clearly been an increase in domestic violence. There are some early reports out from places like the Australian Institute of Criminology, other organisations who are reporting an increase in domestic violence. And we know the extent to which domestic violence is a major contributor to homelessness. And in relation to the early superannuation release scheme, there's some evidence that women are withdrawing a higher proportion of their accounts 
and uh, some women indeed are closing their accounts and more so than men. So this is very early data, but it does uh, cause some concern. So if you aggregate those sorts of factors and you, and you add to it what Kay said about the, the you know, losing the security of the home during the pandemic, this is a serious disadvantage for women and many issues that we need to address. So in due course, we'll see what the true impact of COVID-19 uh, will be on women. But I guess my message is overall that yes, we've got an urgent crisis in uh, homelessness. We need to collaborate across the sector to provide uh, innovative solutions, work in partnership and work at that level with government to get more housing stock, but we also concurrently need to work on those underlying structural problems that lead to women having uh, less financial resources, uh, some of which then lead to uh, women becoming homeless. Thanks very much. Get your copy of 3CR's magnificent book. It's a stunning history of the people, programs and issues at the station since 1976. On sale now for the amazing price of just $20. Pick one up at the station or jump online and place your order. Radical Radio, celebrating 40 years of 3CR. On sale now for $20. Okay, welcome back. Um, you're with Fiona and Shane on Raise the Roof, HAG's fortnightly show about older people and housing on 3CR 855 on the AM dial. Um, there's a couple of things I wanted to tell people about that are coming up that they may be interested in. Um, so first of all, on the 9th of October, which is the day before World Homelessness Day, we're going to be holding an online forum, um, which is launching the research report that we did last year um, into older LGBTI people and their housing issues. And it's gonna be co-hosted by um, Australian Association of Gerontology, which is also releasing their new report into, um, it's, a, it's a literature review basically, and it says that there's no research anywhere basically in the whole world about the housing issues for older LGBTI people. Um, and we're really, really excited to be having that um, launched by Commissioner Roe Allen, who's the Commissioner of Gender and Sexuality in Victoria. So she will be launching the two reports and we'll also have, um, Joe Ball from Switchboard, who's the CEO there. And um, they'll be talking about the Switchboard out and about service. Um, and we'll also have an older LGBTI person who will be talking about their own experience of homelessness and what being at risk is like. So that's really cool. Are you gonna come, Shane? It's not uh, on your work uh, day. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> I feel like you need to make the effort for the team and come uh -huh. along. Are you offering to pay me for that day? No, it's volunteer work. You need to be doing more for the community, Shane. More so, for the community. <laughs> so the report's called, the launch is called Out of the Closet and Out of Options. And it's on Friday, the 9th of October at 11am. All the details are on our website, which is oldertenants.org.au, or you can give us a call. Now, people that might have trouble um, accessing the internet or are unsure about how to use online um, forums and things like that, we're happy to talk you through those options. And you don't need to have the internet. You can just use your ordinary landline or your, um, your mobile phone to be able to dial in and hear 
um, hear the speakers and contribute to that event. So yeah, feel free to give us a call if that's what you want to do. Now, Shane, there was some news today about um, landlords having a bit of a sook about how COVID's affecting them. Did you did you notice? Yeah, that? look, it's a it's a sad story, listeners. You gotta get yourself a seat, get out your tissues. Uh, this is a new segment on the show that we like to call the world's smallest violin. Uh, Jim Marlowe for Domain reported the other day that Victorian landlords struggling to fill vacant rental properties say they face difficult financial positions or homelessness if they cannot collect rent on their investments. Uh, of course, this comes hot on the heels of the absolute scumbag dogs of the Real Estate Institute saying that they were calling on all landlords and real estate agents to refuse to negotiate with, with tenants about rent reductions during, uh, during COVID-19, just a flagrant disregard uh, for public health and for other people's needs. And just incredible for me that now that having like so publicly said, like we don't, we absolutely do not care about anyone else's welfare or needs. They're now turning around demanding more from a government that is absolutely pouring welfare into the landlord sector uh, beyond the ordinary landlord welfare of negative gearing, capital gains tax discounts. Uh, Marlow reports that while government support for landlords is available in the form of cash grants towards rent payments, land tax discounts, and federal tax concessions such as negative gearing, Real Estate Institute of Victoria President Leah Kellnan said this was not enough in the pandemic. Quoted uh, what, what, Ms Kellnan's, uh, she says uh, that the eviction ban is hurting landlords. Um, you can't complain that you're at risk of homelessness and say that the solution is to make other people homeless. Um, I know that I'm driving Fiona mad right now because she was so happy with the sound and the audio level. We're now just screaming into my microphone. But come on. Like, effectively at that point, what you're explicitly saying is they should be homeless, we shouldn't be homeless. And I mean, that is the attitude of, 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 of the real estate sector, that we're entitled to profits at the expense of others, uh, they bear the risk, we reap the rewards. Uh, it, it could not be a starker or clearer illustration of that of that position, which is so entrenched in, in Australian property discussions uh, and the scumbags who uh, make a living as investors. Yeah, so they're talking about people that have multiple properties here. So really, if, they're, if their little business in terms of reaping a profit off other people's rent isn't working, then why can't they just sell one of their many houses? How well, maybe they can get a job. Yeah. Maybe they need to do more for the community. Maybe they do. More community service. So, yeah, always, always... Are you calling for labour camps for landlords, Fiona? That sounds a bit controversial. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. We could have stimulus packages for them, I'm sure. Um, so, if you yourself are a landlord that's experiencing housing stress... <laughs> <laughs> Or maybe you're not a landlord that's experiencing housing stress. Um, but if you are, in all seriousness, experiencing that and you do want um, some answers about things like how to negotiate a rent reduction with your landlord um, or where to get more information about some of the government rental rebates that are available for renters, then you can give us a call on 1300 765 178. Um, and of course, if you're an older person who has any retirement housing issues or um, is struggling to pay the rent or even just um, wanting to get involved in political advocacy around housing issues for older people, you're welcome to give us a call. Um, the office number, which we're answering despite the pandemic, um, we're still all here, still working, um, is 9654 7389. Um, and 
you can always check out our website for more info too. So that's all. all right, have great talking to you, Fiona. What a great episode. Yep. Well, tune in again next fortnight for more exciting information about older people and hear Shane rant about landlords. Um, and yeah, we'll see you next time. Bye. See ya.